Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you, David. All right. Uh, well, it's good to see you this morning. We are uh, in a series called Go Local, where we're trying to get better at, be more effective at, bringing Christ into our everyday ordinary interactions, relationships with people. You think about it, uh, in a, on a Sunday morning, you'll be here hour and a half, and then you're going to spend the vast majority of your, what, 167 hours of a week out amongst others and in the world. And that's where your faith and who Christ is to you has to come out. And, uh, and it, and it's got to come out effectively, and the stakes are extremely high. Every single week, as I think about us chatting regarding this topic, I'm thinking about the stakes are so high for people. So, uh, we're trying to get better at it. We have been comparing uh, that sort of how, how we influence people in our lives as farming. Uh, because... Uh, because of the image Jesus gives us in Mark chapter 4, which we'll read in just a second. I have a buddy who was here last week, uh, and when, I, when, we, when we got to the gym this past week, uh, he said, I guess I can't call you pastor anymore. i got to call you farmer, because uh, I, I guess you're the farmer God's put in my life. And I was like, yeah, 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 farmer's great. Farmer's great. So, uh, so our text, so here's our text. This is what it is. So he's, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like someone who spreads seed on the ground. Goes to sleep, gets up, night and day, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And by itself, the soil produces a crop. And there's a process. There's a stalk, then there's a head, then there's the full grain. And when the grain is ripe, he sends in the sickle because, of the, because the harvest has come. And uh, so we are... Uh, to the kingdom, what farmers are to a harvest, uh, a whole process uh, that we're involved in. So there's three phases here. One of them's not discussed in this text. In a previous parable, you'll see it a little bit more, but it's, it's about plowing because you have the seed planting and then you have the harvesting, but before any of that can happen, you've got to plow. Uh, and we've spent a lot of time talking about plowing. It's about earning trust. It's about creating curiosity arousing curiosity. It's about loving, caring, and sharing our lives with people in the world. That's how you do it. And last week, I gave you a challenge. So just out of curiosity, after last week, I wonder how many of you had an opportunity to take that challenge this week and do something towards somebody. Just lift your hand if you had that opportunity. Okay, so a good, a good little portion of you. The rest of you had no coffee for two weeks. No coffee for two weeks. All right, that's your punishment. All right, uh, I, have, I did get a chance to talk to a few of you about that. It's awesome. Uh, but I have a buddy, uh, Brian, Brian Hodges, you probably know, you may know. That's a, um, but uh, I, I asked him to just share just a quick little brief window into something that happened to him this week uh, and asked him to share it in the first service. So he's going to just share it real quick. Brian, thank you, bud. Thanks, Pete. Um, I actually had... Three really incredible uh, interactions with some folks over the last uh, two weeks since we started the series. But P 
Pete insisted that he was preaching this morning, so I'm only going to share one. Uh, he wouldn't even let me on stage. It's okay. I get it. Um, yeah. I'll cut you off, too. So, I know. Uh, get I know going. you will. So get going. So uh, my wife and I just moved to a new neighborhood, and so this series has been really challenging and timely for us um, and, you know, to get to know the people that, we live, that live around us. And uh, about a month ago, uh, just after we moved in, another couple moved in across the street. And we, uh, just because of, you know, busy lives and excuses, have not had an opportunity to meet them. Um, and about two weeks ago, uh, we noticed that pulling up in front of their house were a bunch of uh, restoration uh, trucks that showed up in work crews and started pulling out sheetrock and carpet and wood floors and everything else. And became very apparent very quickly that something pretty catastrophic had happened in this house they just moved into. And uh, they weren't around. You could tell they were staying somewhere else um, and not able to live in the house. And then uh, last Sunday morning, uh, Lynn's was actually sick, and so we were skipping out on church. We were at home, and uh, the Holy Spirit was uh, punishing me for that and making me feel really guilty (laughs) because right at about the time Pete was preaching, uh, these this wife, uh, this husband and wife pulled up in their yard and got out and uh, started uh, taking care of the yard. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, man, all right, here's, you know, here's a very clear opportunity and uh, was able to walk across the street and meet them. And um, it was really, really cool. Uh, made some instant kind of connections with them. The wife is an American Airlines flight attendant, uh, which I, I work for American Airlines as well. Um, and our husband is retired military, but uh, he's about to deploy to Iraq for 12 months as a private security contractor in Baghdad. And, you know, it's just that perfect timing of this terrible, you know, thing has happened to their house. Um, he's about to leave. She's coming and going because she's traveling all the time. And it was an opportunity for us to just say, hey, anything you need, we're here. Don't worry about the yard you know, don't worry about this. You just call us, let us know how we can help. And so, you know, just that perfect timing of the Holy Spirit prodding this series, challenging us to, to reach out to people, um, you know, in a time where they're, they're really going to need it over the next year. That's awesome. That's great. All right. So, yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that, Brian. So a couple of things about that story. Listen, it takes, there's a few moments there's a few moments in every one of our days. You know, I know it's been on your mind more. I mean, you can't be coming to Hillside and this not be on your mind every day, okay, while you're working and stuff. But then there's a few moments where you're looking out your window and you see the opportunity, and then it's a matter of are you going to take it? Are you going to walk across the street or not? It's because you've got to walk across the street. You've got you to enter the world of someone. It could be at a desk. It could be, at a, uh, it could be anywhere but you've got you to gotta take initiative. This is about being proactive, walking across whatever it is you've got to walk across to get to a person, enter their world, and find out what's going on. And all, does it take, all it takes is a simple conversation to find out where someone's at for you to know how you can serve them. Which one of us wouldn't have been able to determine that might maybe helping them with the yard would be a good way to serve these people? It's not rocket science. You don't have to be a theologian. You didn't have to go to seminary to plow. You just got to care about people, enter their world, and, and that opportunity shows up. Even, even if you're skipping church, an opportunity like that can come up and come your way. Isn't that really amazing? That's really amazing. Okay, so we've been talking about the plowing, which is 
Again, we're earning people's trust. We're trying to arouse curiosity uh, about lives because we're living uh, a certain kind of life. And, but, but you can't plow forever. At some point, you've got to plant seed. No farmer is just in it for the plowing. Okay, you plow with a purpose in mind, and you're looking for the opportunity to plant seed. Now, let me just say this. Many of you are probably uh, known, you're probably known in your circles, if you've been in them a while, as the good guy or gal, the nice guy or gal, maybe the servant, maybe the generous one, maybe the nice one, maybe the one with integrity, the honest one. We can trust them. And maybe you've earned that respect. And maybe you've had that sort of reputation forever. And you're okay with the plowing of that nature. But you never get to planting. And let me just say something to you. I have some circles in my life where I'm just the plower. And I haven't gotten around to planting. And listen, no one's going to come to... Your reputation isn't saving anyone. Your reputation isn't saving anyone. At some point, you got to point to Jesus. That's what planting is. That's what sowing is. At some point, i got to get your eyes on Jesus. Now, uh, this is so important. I want to talk about it for a little while because this is where the next challenge is for us. Okay? I remember when my dad came to Christ. My dad's life changed so radically that all of us were literally in awe of what had happened to him. This was, a, this was an angry, brawling, drug addict, hateful, um, self-centered, Mean human being walking the planet when he left us. He'd done a lot of damage in people's lives and proceeded to do a lot more. And when he gave his life to Christ, he changed in every way, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Every part of his life changed. And my, you know, it was about ninth grade. I was going into 10th grade when my dad when my mom said, why don't you and your sisters move in with dad just for the summer, get to know him again? Well, okay, sure, this would be great. And I can remember hanging out with my dad when I was in middle school when he'd pop into our lives periodically and, and trying to come down off of heroin. And, and, you know, he doesn't remember everything we would do that day, but he remembers that he was trying to, you know, kick in heroin. And I'm like, Dad, we would talk about it. We were just dis- discussing that here recently. And I'm just a kid. I don't even know which end is up. And when you talk about that, and then I'm now all of a sudden, I'm sitting at the dinner table in a summer with this man whose life is so radically different. He's got his Bible open and he's reading. I've never seen him read. He couldn't read. And now my dad, whose life we were in awe of this transformation, has now had the responsibility of pointing me to Jesus because as great as my dad is, He can't save me. He had to point to Christ, and that's what he did. That's how I came to Christ, right? Right before I entered 10th grade. It was because of him sharing Christ with me. So that's what we have to do. We've got to point to Jesus. Remember our text in Colossians chapter 4? I think we have it up here. Remember when Paul's praying? Hey, pray for us, that God will open a door for us to give the message so that we may proclaim the reputation of Pete. Chia follow. 
No, that's not what it says. It's the mystery of Christ. And I think that's a great word. It's not just a great word because in the New Testament it means, well, what we, there's a lot of things. We, we knew the Messiah was coming. We didn't know who he was, was going to be exactly. We didn't know what he, everything about him. But, and so at some point it was a mystery, but then it becomes really clear when he comes on the scene. And that's how Jesus is. He just clarifies things that once were not very clear. And so you say, how do you do this? What does this look like? Well, it can, it can come at some point in your life. Maybe you're, you're finally inviting someone to church and they come to church. And maybe it's through church that they hear Jesus for the first time. Because there's a wide spectrum here of what sowing looks like. So maybe they hear it out of somebody else's mouth, but you invited them. And they just start to hear about Jesus. Uh, maybe it's because of a question you ask, you know, that, that opens a door for you. Like I was telling you last week about one of my buddies who, uh, who I just asked him the question, uh, what are you doing with your life? 25-year-old kid just sort of stuck. Um, and it was a shame because he was bright and capable and got big visions, but stuck. And just that question prompted us to interact at levels that were only, you know, very surface for a while. But then we end up going to lunch about it, and I find out he likes Jordan Peterson, and he listens to a lot, and we could interact with him about that, and, and we've talked about other people, and because he's a philosophy and psychology guy, and man, we were able to go through that, and then I realized he's a smart guy, likes smart people. I said, hey, I know a smart person. He said, some of us think Jordan Peterson's the smartest person in the world. Uh-uh, he's not. Not by a long shot. Jesus, much smarter than him. I said, hey, you ought to read the Sermon on the Mount. This was a great way for me to say, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about superior moral teaching beyond anything you've ever heard in your life. Read it. He had never read it. So it was an opportunity for me to discuss. I got to get you looking at Christ. Because at some point, nothing I do and nothing I say is enough. At some point. So it could be that way. It could, and it could be a challenge. It could be, hey, you know, uh, Maybe you have a favorite story of Jesus and something happens. Maybe it's a current event. Maybe it's a circumstance in somebody's life. Maybe you find out that a friend of yours is serving the poor somewhere. Well, this is a great opportunity for you to say, yeah, man, I, I love doing that. And, you know, Jesus, there's this great story in the New Testament Jesus teaches about that. And you can alert them to Christ. Uh, that way. It could be a parable that you love, that some, something happens and you get to uh, share Christ and bring up his name and say, man, you guys ought to read this. It's a great story. Or, hey, I'm glad you're talking about that. This happened to me a couple years ago, blah, 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 and you bring up Christ. Now, listen, don't try to crowbar Jesus into everything. Don't be that weird guy. Don't crowbar Jesus into everything. It's got to be the right moment. You have to have done your plowing work. Otherwise, you bring up Jesus' name, people think you're nuts. You've got to have done your plowing. Okay? And then you, you, you share a story or two, and you say, hey, you ought to read that, because you need to be looking at him. Uh, that reminds me, there was a little gal for, uh, who works for Jews for Jesus, who's, who's, who said this. I read it in one of the books I was reading this summer. She said, don't pour out a whole pitcher of water if all the person is doing is holding out a Dixie cup. Okay, so you, you got to be wise and smart and know, you, you know, Jesus, you don't insert Jesus 
you got to do that well, all right? So it just takes smart and, and, and thinking and caring, that kind of stuff. But you want people to be thinking about Jesus because here's the thing. Much can be overcome when people pay attention to Jesus. You think about your own life. What did you know or didn't know before you met him? Were you some theologian? Were you some incredible spiritual seeker? Or did he just pop into your world and freak you out like he did me? Yeah, most of us. Maybe you had crazy questions. Jesus is self-authenticating. He doesn't need you. At this point, there he is. Get to know him. He'll change your life. So he comes through in spite of everything because people love this. In our culture, especially right now, right now, people love being sort of counter-cultural. Jesus was counter-cultural. Jesus Jesus confronted hypocrisy. He hated hypocrisy. You don't know a person who doesn't hate hypocrisy. Even in themselves, they hate it. Jesus was a person who embraced the poor and the marginal. People in our society today love that. Nobody did it like Jesus did it. Jesus knew how to get to the heart of a matter on anything. Bring it up. Um, somebody was talking to me, uh, or, or somebody about, uh, about, how about befriending sinners. You know, Jesus never hung out with a sinner that had to, just couldn't wait to get away from him. Never happened. If Jesus was around us, it didn't matter who they were, how moral they were, Jesus, Jesus could hang with them. Nobody was hurrying away from him. There's great stories about that. You could have somebody read. So Christianity is, you got to be a thinker. I'm not saying don't think, because Christianity is not less than rational. I consider myself someone who has to think through things. But once you meet Jesus, they reprioritize the things that you think about and, and stuff. And so all of a sudden, there's an encounter. It, it went from sort of uh, rational to personal. And issues that were categories and there were questions, maybe some hard ones, all of a sudden you are, uh, they get, something happens to those things when you meet Christ. Seeing him changes. Even, even, even if you've met a weird Christian. How many of you knew weird Christians before you came to Christ? And you maybe even had a time in your life where you go, I'm not becoming a Christian because I know that one. Okay? And you're like, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. Look at this guy. All right? There's weird Christians everywhere. Sometimes we're the weird ones. I know you think it's everybody else. But sometimes we're the weird ones. Uh, even that can be overcome when you meet. Christ. It doesn't matter. It can be overcome. Um, I love the way, here's how Andy Stanley describes this. He's a uh, pastor. He he describes it as what happens is is all your big questions, they don't go away, but they shrink. They they, they, they change perspectives. And he uses the illustration that uh, I've been living here lately with two sons, one who just recently got married and one who's about to. Uh, He uses the illustration of marriage and this whole idea of the reasons why a young man might, might not want to get married. Okay? Um, and so, uh, you know, I've got two in my house right now that are sort of really, you know, 
They're not really in on it. Then I got, you know, one's married. He has to be. Then I got the other one who's about to be. Uh, so here's the reasons why a young man might, you know, uh, freedom. Yeah. It's gone. That's for sure. And they know it. They know it. They know it's going away. They also understand the commitment concept and how, you know, what's it going to take to be committed? It's going to take everything you have. All right. Uh, how, many, how many of you exhausted because of marriage? <laughs> yeah, I guarantee you. You say, I'm tired. I don't know why. I do. All right. You're married. And how about money? How many of you are broke? How many of you thought to yourselves, I'm never going to have enough money to get married? And that's the truth. You're never going to have enough money to get married. You never will have enough. All right. Uh, and then what about, what about other people? Other married people? You're like, there's a good reason not to get married. Do you know Joe? Yeah. You don't want to get. Uh, and so there's a, yeah, there's a good one. And then maybe you're too young. You just think, I'm too young. I've got more life to live. Or, or then you might, you might think, oh, well, well, as soon as I get married, what if I meet, what if I meet the right one after I get married? You know, like at the reception, what happens <laughs> if I run into her at the reception? And you got trouble here. You say, what is it? What is it that makes a fella want to overcome, uh, overcome all of that? Okay, and so here's how it, you describe it. What happens is, <laughs> what happens is all these things shrink. All right? And it's, it's really not that. It's really love. It's really love. We just had a little engagement gathering at our house for my son, Eric, who's getting married in April, to meet her family. And so a lot of her family came into town, and we uh, had a little gathering, and all of them were telling stories about how Mariah shared with them, you know, this, this new guy in her life. And, of course, we knew the stories of Eric. And I can remember the first night because it was sort of a blind date with some friends that we had from Liberty University. They had a daughter, and we sort of uh, connected them and, you know, not holding out hope, just, hey, see what happens. Well, I remember Eric, and they told stories about Mariah just on that first date. Hey, she's in school trying to finish nursing school, and and he's in school doing two two jobs, and uh, she lives in Dallas. It was like, man, we, we don't have the time. I, I don't think anything's going to happen. And, and, and after that first date, all of a sudden, Eric's walking around like this. And I'm like, hey, what happened to you? And you know what happened? All of a sudden, marriage, which is a, all of a sudden, it was just a category that I thought about as a category, became very, very personal. There was a face and a name. And every one of us have experienced, most of us married have experienced that thing right there. Somebody walks in your life that knocks you off your feet. And it's an encounter. You say, well, what do you do now? Do I, do I sit down with Eric and walk through every single one of these? No, you, no one's going to do that. Their issues, they don't really go away. They've just taken a back seat to a whole new personal encounter. That's what happens when you come to Christ. The way of Christ is a personal interaction. It doesn't mean there's still not things and issues and questions but they look different in light of an encounter with Christ. And I will tell you honestly, this is how I feel. This is how I feel. Um, I believe, whatever your questions are, but whatever your questions are, I don't think, I think the best answers of life, the best answers to life's most important questions 
can be answered in Christ better than anything else in the world. If I didn't believe that, I, could, I couldn't share with you everywhere. I couldn't be a, I wouldn't be here. I believe that with all my heart. But I also know that when I came to Christ, a lot of the questions that were probably, you know, bouncing around in my head got answered immediately. And some of them went away completely. Others of them still linger. They're still there. still struggle with a few of them. But in light of who Christ is, I can deal with them. They've shrunk. They're not the primary thing anymore. Um, There's two kinds of knowing philosophers distinguish between the knowing that's descriptive and knowing by acquaintance, experience. You've experienced it. Say whatever you want. I've been there. Know what that is like. And Christianity has both. And you can get all your questions answered, and it will not lead you to God. You can have them all answered. There comes a personal encounter that changes everything in a person's life. Uh, remember what Job said? You know, you go through things that Job's gone through, and you got issues, questions, philosophical ideas and notions you need answered, right? And Joseph, or Job struggled with that. But there's this great text at the end of the whole book where he says, you know, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. This is what he says to God. But now my eyes see you. Can you, can you feel the difference in that? I knew about you. I had information. But now I see you. And look, at what, it, look what happens as a result. I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. I realize who I have been. And what you realize after you've read this book is you realize, you know, Job, you came out pretty strong in this discussion with God. You had all kinds of ideas, notions, and thoughts. And here's basically Job saying, I take back every stupid thought I had. I take back every assumption I made of you. I take it back. That's what he's saying. I see myself for who I really am in your presence. There's an encounter that changes everything. Remember what happened to Nicodemus? Nicodemus in John chapter 3, remember? This is a man who spent his whole life becoming a religious person person it was his it was his occupation i mean can you imagine the countless hours what it would take to be at the level of a uh, that nicodemus was in the sanhedrin it was incredible what he spent his life doing one conversation with jesus and nicodemus is doubting all his years in this religion One conversation, Jesus points him to something he had, ne- he had never seen, something internal. Nicodemus never really, really grasped God loving him. That's where Jesus said, God loved the world so much. He sent his son to die for you, Nicodemus. You don't have to do all this stuff. One conversation. And then how about in the next chapter, John chapter 4? Woman at the well. This is a woman who'd been hiding all her life. She didn't want anybody to see anything anymore. She knew every time she got around people, they were looking at her funny because of her past and some of the things she was going through. And she, despite some of her religious roots, could never get her life on track. She never could. And so what she ended up doing was just bailing on society. She just would go to the well by herself. Hey, any social settings, I'm just going to avoid. 
because I, I just don't match up. So you got Nicodemus in John chapter 3 who thinks he matches up. He's more than matched up. He's better than everybody else. And then you got this woman in the world. I know I'm not better than anybody else. I got to hide. One conversation with Jesus, she's running into town telling everybody to come out. The people she was avoiding, she ran to. Is that incredible or what? How does that happen? It's an encounter that it overcomes your psychological issues, emotional issues, personal issues, intellectual issues. They all get overcome by an encounter with Christ. It doesn't mean those things go away, but they So I have a friend that I recently asked to read John 3 and 4. He's, a, he's, a, he's one of the coaches at our CrossFit gym. And uh, I've known him a while, and I've thought very highly of him for a long time. He is, uh, he's taught me a lot about CrossFit. My kids knew him, and I got introduced to him, and then he started coming to our gym, and so I got to know him even more, and now we, you know, work out together and uh, hang out together a little bit. And uh, so, um, so I invited him and, him and his family to Hillside uh, at Christmas Eve. So they came, and they sat right here. And... Um, and then, and then, you know, I, did, I didn't know where it was going to go after that. I didn't know if they'd come back or not. But there was, you know, nothing happened. We didn't have conversation about it. And some months went by. And I realized I, I, probably, should have, I probably should have approached him sooner about it. Uh, but we'd, we'd, we never really had a conversation after that about it. So I'm just, I was still plowing. And uh, so I went away for the summer went on break, and when I got back, I learned that he was coming to Hillside. He'd been coming for a few weeks. And so I was like, I remember right after the workout we did, I walked up to him, we were having a conversation, and I said, dude, I, you're, you've been coming. I said, I said, yeah, I've been coming. And then I said, uh, I said well, that's, that's awesome, man. I'm really glad to hear that. And he goes, <laughs> he, he, he's, uh, he's a little crusty, a little raw, you know, tough guy. And uh, he said, yeah, I've been to your blank in church like three times. Where the blank have you been? <laughs> and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to explain I've been on a break. I, I don't know how to do that. I didn't know how to explain that. Uh, so anyway, um, he pulled me aside and said, you know, some things have happened in my life. And I that's just where I turned. That's just where I turned. And I was like so thrilled of it. And since then, we have had a number of conversations. I had him, I've got him reading uh, John 3 and 4. And uh, he's the one that called me a farmer and not the pastor in his life anymore. And he's here today. He doesn't know this. He's the best thing happening in my spiritual life. Because I, I see his heart opening. So, uh, 
I want to I take you to a story. I want to take this one more place before we, before we end. L- let me show you this. So in John chapter 1, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's been baptized now by John the Baptist, and he's been let loose, okay? He's let loose on the world, and he's going to get his disciples. And uh, there's a little encounter with him and Andrew and Peter right before this, where he renames Peter. I mean, he's meeting these people, and immediately, as soon as they meet him, they go, there's something about him. And all he has to do is say, follow me, and they just start following, because there's just something about him. And so they, uh, they, he grabs, gets Andrew and Peter there, and, and they set out for Galilee. And, he, and I love, it says, he, uh, so they set out, this is Jesus' decision, Jesus is the, is the subject, sets out, then he found Philip, and then he says to the so Jesus is doing all the actions, and he says to, to Philip, follow me. And then there's just this little phrase in here that just tells you where Philip's from, Bethesda. It's a little town right outside of Galilee. Tell you they're getting close uh, to being in the, in the Galilee. And it's where Andrew and Peter were originally from. Even though they sort of ended up in Capernaum and living there, uh, that's where they grew up. And so you just sort of see this connection, this natural networking of connections going on. And so Philip takes his natural connection to hear verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. So you got, this is really beautiful interaction in John where you got Jesus uh, found Philip, but now Philip is finding Nathanael and, and tells him, and this is what he says, we have found one. No, Philip, you didn't find anybody. He found you. And this is a beautiful back and forth interaction where you think you're finding him, but really he's been searching for you and finds you. You always, you always start out the search, you know, thinking you're searching and you end up being found. That's how it is. And so he says, we have found the one. Now imagine this. You're just plopping along and the poor Nathaniel. This is what Nathaniel gets. Who knows what Nathaniel was doing hanging out in the streets of Galilee. Philip walks up to him and says, hey, remember the one we've been talking about for 100 years? We've been waiting for him? No, that one. Moses talked about him, law and prophets. I ran into him today. Right here. Right here on the street. Wouldn't you be like, "Uh, I don't have time for this, uh, Philip. I got other things going on. Don't tell me you met him today. All right, the Messiah. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I'm talking about the one from Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That one, he is there. Okay, so you're like, okay. Now, what's Nathaniel going to say to this? Here's Nathaniel. You're like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is sort of a, a sarcastic comment, rhetorical question. It's not intended to be answered. Just the kind of thing that says, look, Nazareth's a little town. Nobody, nobody, nobody great's coming from Nazareth. It's just rhetorical and skeptical. It reveals a little bit of a skeptical. In fact, one commentator wrote this about, and I love it. He says, uh, this is sort of stubborn provincialism in reverse. It refuses to see anything great or glorious in that which is familiar or close to home. None of us would say that. Okay, sort of a built-in prejudice that we all have. And by the way, we've got tons of those things. And, and the only way they're going to get overcome is when you meet Christ. That's the way they're going to get overcome. If I said to you, we just found the cure for pancreatic cancer, you'd be like, huh, what happened? Where did we find that? 
uh, Mayo Clinic, maybe, maybe Houston. No, Leakey, Texas. There's 500 people there. It's just not the Rio Frio. What would you say to me? You'd be like, give me a break. What's, who in Leakey, Texas is thinking about pancreatic cancer? There's 500 people there. That'd be, we all have that. It's just built in. And now the question becomes, does Philip stop and say, oh, no. I, I guarantee Philip's saying, I should have never brought up Nazareth. Why did I say Nazareth? Why did I say it? Because I knew he was going to say that. And that was going to be his obstacle? That question? And so let's say Philip was an expert on cities and messianic origins. Let's just say he was. And maybe he could convince Nathaniel. Maybe he could convince him. Oh, no. Messiahs come from little towns like that, little mountain villages on the southern end of Galilee. Maybe he could convince him. Here's the deal, folks. It wouldn't be enough. That wouldn't be enough. And Philip knows it, so he says, look, Nathaniel, just bring your questions and look. Come and see. Come and see. Memorized it in the original language because I just love it. It's just a great comment. Come and see. And so they do. Look what happens. Now, this is really great because Philip is saying, come see him. Notice verse 47. Jesus saw him coming. Jesus sees him before he sees Jesus. That's always how it is. He sees you coming. And, when, and not only does he see you coming first, you know, you're not sneaking up on Jesus. Uh, he knows exactly who he is. I look at this man. He's got no deceit in him. This is a good man. This is not a pretender. This is a man who wants honest answers. He doesn't play any games. Jesus knows the good and the bad in you. When you walk up to him, he knows it, and you sense it. And this encounter right here leads Nathaniel to say, how do you know me? Now all of a sudden, it's not a category. It's not messianic categories. It's not cities. It's how do you, you know me? Here it gets personal. And Here's what Jesus says to Philip, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Commentators are killing themselves trying to figure out what is that about? Why bring up a fig tree right here? What's the story? And the truth of the matter is nobody knows. There's no way to know. So what do you do with that? You just say somehow between Jesus and Nathaniel, there's a fig tree moment. I'm not sure it was a good moment or a bad moment. I like that. I don't know if it's an embarrassing moment or not. All I know is Nathaniel knows only he could have known I was there. Only he could have known. And because he knows that, because he knows that, Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you're the son of God. Now, what do you think is going to happen in verse 50? Do you think Nathaniel's going to say, oh, by the way, explain the Nazareth thing. I really need the Nazareth thing explained. What are you doing coming from this little monkey city? What are you doing coming from this little monkey city? That's not what happened. Maybe that's a question that has to be asked later because maybe Nathaniel's going to say, you know, hey, while we're just chatting here, walking down the streets, 
Explain to me, what are you doing in Nazareth, coming from there? It's not like the question goes away. It's just all of a sudden, once I meet him, I realize it's not the most important thing on the table. I don't have to, I don't have to know that right now to move on. And for him to be king. If he is the king and he's God, and I'm going to surrender my life. I'm not going to sit around with a, you know, how, how did the dinosaurs get on the ark? You're going to do that for a little while, and then you're going to figure out that answer, and you're still going to be far away from God until you meet Jesus. When you figure out how the dinosaurs got in and out of here, you're still going to be far from God until you meet Jesus. And then I love this. Look what Jesus says to him. I know what you're thinking, and this is what leads me to believe it was something really personal. Jesus says, I know, it's because I told you I saw you under the fig tree that you believe. I know that's the reason. And that's that thing that they have just between them. And he says, you're going to see greater things than this. This is just the beginning. And then I love this last verse. He tells them, I'll tell all of you the solemn truth. You'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And when you read that, there's a couple of things we could say theologically, but I'm just going to avoid that for just a minute. Here's the main thing Jesus is saying. You got heaven and you have earth. That's what you got right here is earth. I'm the middleman. I'm the middleman. Whatever God's doling out, salvation, blessings, information, whatever it is, I'm the middleman. You got to see me before it gets here. That's what Christ is saying. I'm the center. I'm the center, the central figure of God's activity in the world. Surrender to me, through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Now, here's the truth. Uh, let, me, let me read this to you. Uh, Oz Guinness wrote this. Just think through it. Truth about Jesus of Nazareth is there to be faced and examined and known in all its unvarnished facthood. But the confirmation of that truth comes, comes from an engagement that passes through the factual to intuitive recognition of the personal. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you figure out. When you meet him, something happens. That's my story. Do I struggle? Yes. Do I have intellectual uh, profundities? I can't figure out everything? Yes. But the best answers to life's most important questions I have found in him and haven't found anything better yet. And they trump some of those very difficult things that you and I face every day. Now, you could be a Christian for 10 years, 20 years. It's been done. People go to church, and they know all the information. They got all the right answers, but they've never had a personal encounter with them. And that might be you here today. 
If you'd asked me last week if I believe, I'd have said yes. I have data, but I don't know him personally. I'm telling you, that's the encounter you've got to have. Because it's more than rational. It's more than information. And maybe you're sitting in here and you're right, right on the edge. You're just figuring all this out, but you're sitting on the edge and you're going, I don't know really what to do. What do I do now with this information that I have started to get and actually believe? What do I do with it? You've got to cross that line. You've got to realize who Jesus Christ is. And then there is, I recognize you're God and I recognize you're the king and I need to surrender my life to you. I've got to surrender my life to you. And trust you. You can do it if you're 14 years old like I was. You can do it if you're 80. At some point you say, I've got to surrender my life to you. Trust you with what you do. You died on a cross for my sins. You're the middleman. Without you, I got nothing. And you surrender your life to me. And then you let him figure it out. I don't know what I'm going to do about it. I don't know what I'm going to do. You just let him figure it out. you bow your heads. Lord, I just want to pray for every person in this room right now. Whether they've been coming to church, maybe Hillside for all its life. Maybe they've been in church all their lives. And they know a lot, but they don't know you. I pray right now in somebody's heart they would realize that and right now surrender their lives to you and then maybe lord there's some people in here who need to look further into who jesus is and 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 walk away from some of the hard doubts and issues and questions that they have and just look closer at jesus and see if those things come into perspective and then there might be a person who has been maybe just figuring things out and it's and then they just need to know what the next step is, surrendering their life to you. So I just pray, first of all, that you'll reveal to hearts what needs to be the next step for any of us. And that right now in their seat, they might pray something like this, Father, I don't really think I have that much to offer. I may or may not know what I need to know. But you, Lord, you, I want to know personally. I want to give my life to you. You gave your life for me. And I surrender. Father, work on our hearts the same way you have always done. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.